Drew and Jonathan Scott here to tell you that American Family Insurance wants to protect your dreams. So whether you're at home singing in the shower, every note, or prefer singing your heart out in the car like Drew, cruising, you can save up to 23% when you bundle your home and auto insurance with American Family Insurance. Get a quote or find an agent at amfam.com. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Luxury exemplified. Innovation electrified. The all-new, all-electric EQS SUV from Mercedes-Benz. Grief is really powerful. It's an emotion that all of us are going to go through at some point or another, especially when you lose somebody close to you. Grief is devastating. But it's also something that you can come out of and you can remember and have fond pictures of the person that you lost and to gain composure and to grow from the situation. My guest today is Rachel Reichblum. And Rachel, her story is unbelievable. Losing two parents to brain cancer and coming out on the other end really strong, really composed, and having it together very well. Her story is really interesting, it's fascinating, sad, but there's a silver lining in it. And uh, Rachel's just an amazing person. So enjoy the conversation that we had and open your mind and your heart. Rachel Reichblum. Well, it's great to finally meet you, Rachel. You look fantastic, by the way. Thank you. I got the light shining on me. I got a little. I know. Look at the situation. (laughs) You like set up this whole situation to look like your best. (laughs) That's the goal, always. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I um, I really appreciate you being on, and I, gosh, I think I came across your thing on Spot. I guess your whole Mm -hmm. your story, and um, I think your story is one that I've had semi similar stories on my podcast, but. Mm Just the whole, I don't know, I'm really fascinated by people who have gone through some difficult times mm-hmm. and how they come out and have joy mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. yeah. So I'd love to hear about your story and the whole concept of that good grief. Yeah, sure. Um, so I can tell the short version of my story and then as we go through, I'll probably share more and more details. Oh, there'll be questions related to it. Yeah. <laughs> So the short version is that um, when I was 25 years old, my dad was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. Um, he went through a period of chemo and radiation. Um, all He was able to work during that time. And then, um, but from the time he was diagnosed when he passed away, it was about 10 months. Um, and then about 12 months later, 13 months later, my mom was diagnosed with the same form of terminal brain cancer. Um, and she passed away seven weeks after her diagnosis. 
Um, and then the other layer to that is my brother is an addict. He's currently clean and sober, which is an amazing miracle mm -hmm. every single day. Yes. Um, but that was, he was in active addiction during that, those times as well. So, um, was kind of solely handling that from the sibling point of view. Um, and so I'm currently, this all happened in the last three and a half years of my life. So I recently turned 30, I live in San Francisco. Um, and also got married in the middle of that too, which is an wow. interesting thing to do. Um, so I mean, it's wow. been, a, been a busy couple of years. <laughs> what was the um, emotion when, you know, you got the diagnosis about your father? Yeah. I mean, I very distinctly remember where I was, like I was at work. Um, I answered the phone and my mom was calling me in the middle of a work day. So I kind of answered it with, a tone of snark to put it mm -hmm. kindly of like, what are you calling about? That's so important to interrupt my day. Um, and she was like, I have to tell you something serious. Um, and I just remember that as like a very key turning point in my life. Little did I know how significant it was truly going to become, you know, over the next couple of years. Um, but it was, I've been very fortunate the majority of my life. I hadn't encountered anyone close to me dying really for the most part. I had, um, you know, friends, friends or things like that but I had never um during my life I hadn't lost a grandparent I hadn't lost any family um so it was a it was a whole new undertaking for me so were you close to your father yes really so that I'm sure that made that incredibly difficult hearing that news yeah and I at the time I was living in New York my parents were back in Chicago and so mm -hmm. also not being like not being there, feeling like there's not much you can do from afar other than worry and stress about it um, is a pretty common <laughs> feeling when you're in that situation. Um, and so I was able with work to be able to go back and spend more time there, but it's still, it was always kind of like a back and forth, never really. Did you, um, did they have a diagnosis for how long he would live once it came down? Yeah. The, the doctor's first thing they tell you is don't Google it um, because- oh that information is all out there. I think the average prognosis for glioblastoma, which is the form of brain cancer that they had, um, I think is about like 10 to 15 months. So mm -hmm. they, my dad very much fell, ended up falling in the average of that, but little do you know at that point in time, how it's going to kind of all play out. Did you do any, man, I'm getting flooded. Like I just get a flooded with things, you know, cause you know, my, my wife's mother died like two years ago on Christmas. And I remember when she was, we knew she was going to pass away. And I was like, why don't you guys do something together? Some fun mother daughter mm -hmm. trips. And she said, we just didn't have a relationship like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I wonder like, is there things that you did with your dad knowing that he wasn't going to make it? Yeah, I think we didn't do anything big, but I do remember distinctly taking him to the Verizon store. I mean, like you're getting a new cell phone, like your cell phone is from like, the 1800s and I get that you're gonna like die in a couple months but you deserve to have like a smartphone in the meantime wow um, so something like that where at the time I think I knew in the back of my mind I was like yes I understand that this is stupid and pointless because it's only gonna last for a little while but like I still felt like he deserved technology um you know while he was here and functioning oh that what where do you think that came from that you were so like into that <laughs> I think as a family, we, we always had competitions around, not actually, but like 
everyone would steal each other's upgrades. Like that was always dramatic mm-hmm. on our family plan. Um, and so it was kind of like, hey, just because you're like dying doesn't mean you have the don't have the right to your phone upgrade. Like you should you should take it. Like <laughs> every other time you've you've selflessly given it to me or my brother so we could get the new like iPhone or whatever it is. Oh my. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm being honest. <laughs> I know. I just think it's it, it's it's interesting how everybody deals with things. Yeah. I think I think you should be honest. I would not want you to come on here and not be honest. I, yeah. yeah. People need so to I hear think- that. Yeah. And it's so, I mean, so much of meaning is in those little things rather than the big moments. And so to me, that is something that I like, haven't thought much much about, but always do kind of like linger back to like, it's funny that I prioritized that at that point in time. Like that was a big deal for you. Mm -hmm. It was. That's so interesting. So selfless of me. So so selfless (laughs) of me. You better get that upgrade. You know, you're not going to make it. (laughs) It's your last one. You might as well make the most of it. So what was yeah. it like when you when you were kind of coming down, for lack of a better word, the kind of the final stages of the home stretch? Was was it emotional for you? I mean, I get this sense listening to you that this wasn't that long ago, but you seem to have a very calm demeanor about it. Yeah, I think um, my dad's death, though, I think it was premature because he was 59 years old when he died. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he felt very at peace about it. He felt like I've come on this earth. I've done the things I wanted to do. And so like, if that means it's my time to go, it's my time to go. Um, I think none of us were nearly as at peace with it than he was. Yeah, of but course. I do think the, the way he handled his illness and then um, the last eight weeks of his life, I call his like living funeral. Like everyone in his life kind of came through our house. He got to spend time with them, retell the stories he wanted to tell. So to me, it was a perfect death, albeit like 20 to 30 years too soon. Right. Um, but in terms of, you know, I, I think it, having had a parent with a terminal diagnosis, you know that that's how this all ends no matter what. Um, and so having accepted that fact, I think um, it just made me realize of like, if there's a way to die, like this is kind of it. Um, wow. So I, yeah, I think that's how I saw my dad's death. I would say that my mom... I see very differently because that was a different situation um, in terms of her like time from prognosis and what all happened there. Which Seven was weeks, right? You said or so. Yeah. What was so different about her condition versus your father? Yeah. I mean, I think when I heard the diagnosis, I was very much of the br- mind of, let's say, of the brain, which is ironic. Um, <laughs> yeah. Of mind that it would be the same, right? Because you're like, oh, it's the same diagnosis. I know mm-hmm. how this goes. Um, truth be told, obviously, like cancer is a disease that presents itself very differently in every single person. Every person's, you know, genetics are different. So they respond mm-hmm. to even the same sort of situation very differently. Um, and for my parents, it really came down to where in their where in their brain uh, the tumor was. So my dad, to get technical for a second, was in the front of his brain. So they were able to take most of it out. Um, and like, not easily, you have to be a brain surgeon to do it but sure, of course um, but was able to kind of be pretty successful in removing the, the majority of the tumor until it grew back um my mom's tumor was like directly in the center of her brain um mm. a very unusual place for this type of tumor to grow alas it did um and i think for her that made everything more complicated in terms of her cognition while everything was going on but also in terms of the surgery was more complicated how much they could take out 
is complicated. You know, I always compare it to something like breast cancer. Like you can choose to have a mastectomy. Like they can take extra just to make sure that they get it all out. Yeah. You're dealing with someone's brain. You can't really take extra because then sure. you're taking their. Um, and so the margins are much thinner there. So what's the likelihood of this happening to two people? Like, just like, <laughs> I mean, like in your parents, you know, I mean. Yeah, there's no genetic underpinning, although that wouldn't matter so much because they're obviously not related to each other. Um, it's very, very unlikely. I think I, afterwards, I looked up to see if there had been any sort of like scientific research around some sort of situation like this. I found like, one or two studies that have been done about like a German couple and an Italian couple or something like that. So it has happened. Um, I don't think it's common at all. Um, and I don't expect in this lifetime to have any explanation as to why yeah. it happened. What was your mom's reaction when she found out after seeing her husband pass away and then she had similar thing yeah so she because of where um the tumor was in her brain she very much wasn't she was not consciously aware of what was happening basically from the time of her surgery until she passed away um and so that's why it was like a very different experience with her mm. of like it was with my dad having conversations talking about end of life talking about what he's about what he you know kind of hoped for the future um versus my mom basically from the time she went into surgery to the time that she passed away she um, there were a couple moments of lucidity, but they were like mm. random comments that indicated she was aware of what was going on. Um, but she wasn't kind of there as I knew her. And so during this time, your brother's going through addiction at the same time. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you bounce from one thing to the other? You know? Yeah, I think, um, to be fair, I think it's those points in time he was in active addiction and there wasn't much anyone else was going to be yeah. able to do for him other than give him honestly like space and like boundaries. Mm -hmm. uh, what I would now label as boundaries. I didn't know what I was doing at the time other than saying I couldn't like deal with it. Um, yeah. And so it was only a matter of when he was ready to come around to dealing with his addiction and, and getting clean um, that there was really anything I could do. I think um, I'd seen, to be fair to him, like he was living at home during both times. And so for him living with my parents while my dad was kind of quickly dying was mm -hmm. a lot more traumatic for him. And I gave, it was hard for him to be around. And so when it happened with my mom, I had very low expectations of how around he was going to be, I think, because I knew how traumatic it had been for him the first time. And also like, it's just not his area of strength. Um, and I tried to just not even rely on him at that point. Were you, were there moments or times when you felt very vulnerable, emotionally, really low during these two times? <laughs> yes, absolutely. What was that like? I mean, I think that's one of the things I think is great about podcasts and then you're getting to learn about people in a longer format. And what loved, I mean, if you're open to it, just what were those times like? Yeah. yeah I mean, I think there's a reason that I'm back on antidepressants. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's something that at first I felt like I wanted to feel the pain of grief and like wanted to face that head on and didn't think that I wanted to do anything to dull it. Um, but I think it got to a place where I still need to be able to function um, mm -hmm. And it was something beyond what I could handle, the pain I could handle, and then still get up every day and go about my life. 
Um, and so that was a choice I made, obviously, in coordination with the doctor, medical professional about um, going on to medication to help manage that. But I think like, yeah, I mean, in the depths of grief, it's a really, really dark place. Like it is yeah. all consuming. Um, it feels like it's not going to end anytime soon. And the scary thing about it, which I think is completely valid, is that it's not going to change. Like this person is gone and they are gone. And there's not some point in time when which they will return, um, depending on your religious beliefs and how cool. all that bends out, but at least not on this earth. Um, right. And so it's just it's consuming in a way that feels different than anything else of, you know, anxiety or frustration or anger or even happiness of how consuming that can feel. Because your dad's was lengthier and, you know, it was like you said, kind of a living funeral. Did you get to tell him all the things you wanted to tell him? So I, I will say yes and no. Um, I tend to not dislike that question, but it's a tough question to answer because what you're mm -hmm. asking in like when anyone's asking that, is yeah. like, have I thought of everything 30 years from now that I'm going to wish I had asked my dad, which is mm -hmm. absolutely impossible for me to know. Sure. Um, and so I think like in that moment in time, did I do what I knew how to do? Like, absolutely. Will I feel like I have every answer from him for the rest of my life? Absolutely not. Like, right. I just think that's, I can, I can channel him and channel his energy and think about how he might've like approached something, but I'll never know for sure. So you said your dad had a lot of peace with it. Um, and you said he had done a lot. He lived and what mm -hmm. was his life like? What was he, what was he like? Yeah, he was a very enigmatic person. Um, he was a TV news producer for a bunch of years. Um, and so he was very personable, very business minded, but also like loved talking to people, meeting people, saying hi to people he didn't know, but thinking he knew them because he was just <laughs> friendly like that. And it was infuriating <laughs> as his child. Um, and just wanting to leave when he wanted yeah. to talk. Yeah. Um, but also like very well read. Um, we always like to say that he was, <laughs> I, I would say he was smart. My mom would always joke that it wasn't that he was smart. It's that he read a lot and he knew a lot about a little, a little about a lot of different lot of things. things. Yeah. Yeah. And so he always came across as very intelligent because he knew about such a wide <laughs> came across thing. Yes. I think I would say that he was intelligent, just maybe not book smart in the same traditional sense mm -hmm. but um he was very well like just very knowledgeable about having worked in media for so long and in the news he just knew everything that was going on and just a consumer of information um and then later in life he had transitioned to working um had kind of done what he wanted to do in the producing world and uh, started working actually as like an academic tutor but working with mostly it was mostly teenagers generally boys who needed like life skills coaching in a way mm -hmm. um so that like high school age where it's like how are you going to figure out how to get everything done that you need to get done how do you prioritize how do you think through how do you think ahead um and then as you're going through the college application process you know what do you prioritize how do you talk about your story all that sort of stuff and so he had i think in both cases his passion had been kind of coaching young talent and bringing them up within whatever system they're working within um, and so in, you know, in the newsroom, that was finding local anchors and bringing them into more national programs and teaching them how the ropes to kind of become top tier people. Um, and then for students, that was, you know, giving them the life skills to succeed when they, you know, left their nest, if you will. Yeah. Are there times and moments where like you really remember him more than others? 
Um, yeah, I think I work in PR now. Um, and so every now and then I'm doing stuff involving news and media and sets and control rooms and things like that. And so um, I often don't think about it, but as soon as I'm confronted with any sort of like scenery like that, um, I really have like a vivid kind of recollection of where that comes from and that passion and um, feeling him close to me. I think there's also like, there's two kinds of missing someone. There's more of that where it's like, it's bittersweet because it's something I'm doing and it's positive and I'm excited about it, but also that I can feel close to him. Um, and then there's the times where it's just like plain missing someone and there's no, yeah. <laughs> there's no positive to it other than their absence. Um, it's just, you know, just feeling that. Which one do you feel the most? <laughs> um, it's a little bit of both. I think the, the bittersweet version is like every day, particularly with my mom of someone as someone who I would constantly kind of be in communication mm -hmm. with and telling things to like that happens multiple times per day that I'm like, yeah. Oh. And, you know, and there's a sweetness to it of like thinking of her and how she would have reacted, but also obviously the bitterness of not being able to actually do that. Do you have um, like audio of your dad and video that you look at of him? Yeah, I have. Um, I saved all their voicemails. So that's mm -hmm. something I always recommend to people is backup. Okay, so if you have your voicemails, I'm going to do a PSA right now. Okay, let's <laughs> do it. It's a great idea. Email them to yourself or use some application where you can record them elsewhere so that in case you lose your phone or get stolen or whatever may happen, you still have those files. Um, because I had my phone stolen shortly after my dad died. It was very dramatic and also yeah. feels like much scarier because you're worried you're going to lose those pieces of your parent or whoever you lost. Um, so voicemails are a wonderful thing to have and to hold. And maybe you don't listen to them right now, but you can listen to them years from now. And that's, you know, something I really encourage. Um, I have like home videos from when I was little of my parents. Yeah. I don't have a ton of like video footage, but every now and then I use like the time hop app. And so it, you know, goes back in time through all my time pictures. And I've not heard yeah. of this app before. Oh, it's like you link your Facebook account, your Twitter and your photo albums within your phone. And basically every day you go in and it shows you like, here's a picture from a year ago. Here's a picture from 10 years ago. And so you get to kind of huh. see what happened like on this day, all those years before wow. and so yeah and so sometimes it's upsetting and then sometimes though it's like oh that's i forgot that happened you know all, so much of it yeah. like little moments that you forgot happened um and i enjoy it even just for feeling close to like friends who are far away now or things like that um yeah just figuring out that connection that's amazing actually i think that's really good advice you know for people who will listen you know saving that stuff because you, you're doing your life you don't think about saving mm -hmm that information. But yep. I know for me, like I, I guess I've, I've always thought about death. I always, I always remember I'm going to die. I, I, mm -hmm. I'm very cognizant of that. I'm not, it's not like it, weirdly enough, we're talking about, I'm sure, you know, a lot of the world is thinking about Kobe Bryant's death, you know, mm -hmm. and Los Angeles and, you know, people are saying to, you know, make sure you tell people how you feel about them and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's, that's always been something always on my mind. Mm -hmm. Or people think, you know, these kind of luminaries and big time people that go, well, if Kobe died, I could yeah. die. Like, I'm like, what did you think it was off the table yeah. for you or something? Like, it was like. Newsflash. Newsflash, you know, yeah. you're, you're not going to survive this die. either. Yeah. Yep. You know, no, absolutely. But yeah, I, you I think, know. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me personally, like it wasn't something that was top of mind for me before my dad passed away. But after yeah. that, death became very much, I don't know. It's to me, I. I always say to my husband, which is a little dark and morbid, but I, 
it's hard for me to, I don't necessarily understand a fear of dying because I'm like, when you die, that's the easy part. Like you're the one who's gone. It's, yeah. it's that I couldn't, I have a fear of other people dying because I don't think I could handle someone close to me. Like, I don't think I could handle that being layered on top of everything I'm experiencing. But if I were the one to die, I'd be like, cool. Like, you know, not, I'd miss people. Sure. Whatever you believe. <laughs> yeah, like, whatever it is. But that's the easy, like, that's the easy part to be on. <laughs> it's interesting. I've, I've definitely heard that about it's the, it's the su- people who survive, the survivors of the other, it's, it's the, the, the incredible grief that people face and exactly. the, the sadness, you know, and dealing with that and the regret yeah. and all these other things, which like you talk about that time hop thing for like my daughter, I, I do a video of her every year of her life mm-hmm. about like what she's into and it's, and I'm going to, and I have all these pictures and I got her her own Dropbox file that I'm going to yeah. give to her when she's 18 and it's her entire life on there. And then I partially do my podcast. This is the first time I'm saying this on my thing, but I want her to, re- to be able to listen to my voice one day. And she's going to have hundreds and hundreds of podcasts to listen to. Right. And never, she'll be tired of listening to me <laughs> one day, you know, she's potentially. Like, Man, my dad would not stop talking. This guy would not <laughs> shut up. And all these people we was talking to and to remember, you know, different things like that. So I connect with what yeah. you're saying, like the voicemails yeah. and things like yeah, that. Yeah, voice and video are really, really powerful. Like pictures are nice, but I do think like whenever I hear my parents voice or if I hear someone's voice who like says a word that's similar to you know it's mm-hmm. like it's I mean it's biological at that point I think did your dad leave you any like messages or anything like that I don't know like yeah I asked him to write me a letter um when we knew the cancer had spread so in those like last eight weeks but before mm-hmm. his kind of like mental faculties had really gone um I asked him to write me a letter to read on my wedding day mm-hmm. um and at the time I was not engaged, but I was dating my now husband. And even if wherever we ended up, I was going, I assumed one day I was going to maybe get married. Um, And so I wanted to have something. So I did um, have a letter from him on that. And honestly, now that I'm like saying this out loud, I did read it. Um, I read it, I think two days before my wedding, because I was worried about reading it the day of and, you know, being a hot mess. mess. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I, I, you know, I, I haven't, looked at it since then I would I should do that sometimes I'll pull it out like I have a letter that he wrote me on my 18th birthday also um that I've read on my birthday every year or things like that I've also just seen because that letter was the wedding one was typed and so I love it but it's like a little different than seeing his handwriting but I have his handwritten note for my 18th birthday reading it for the first time that letter the two days before your wedding yeah and I just remember like the context of asking him to you know it's a kind of odd thing because I think he (laughs) I remember that after he wrote it and he was gonna he printed it out do you want to review it first to make sure it's what (laughs) it's the tv guy in him you know that's that's not the point here but come on (laughs) yeah (laughs) like the point is that I don't read it now um but I think he was so eager to like please on it, which was sweet. Yeah. Oh man. How yeah. was your, what was your mom like? Um, she was a firecracker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pretty hybrid mix of both of them. 50, 50, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, um, 
I was very fortunate and she felt very fortunate that she wasn't working while um, my brother and I were growing up. And so, you know, she was kind of our stay-at-home mom and working full-time and raising us um, mm-hmm. for about 18 years. And then she went back to work when we went to college um, and was working in retail and actually like really took to it in an interesting way of um, talking to people. Of She always described she worked in like the Bloomingdale's like dress department. Right. Um, and she would talk about how she loved someone would come in and say, I have to buy a dress for this event and I'm really dreading it and I don't want to go. And she loved the feeling of helping them find something that made them excited to go to the event um, and making them feel good and making them feel like, oh, now I'm like excited to, you know, wear this thing and yeah. show up and be myself and whatever it may be. So I always thought that was like a beautiful sentiment about um, what she liked about that because I don't know. Retail can also be really tough. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My mother worked in retail for a long time and she was very similar. She, my mom would just make you feel a certain way about stuff. I mean, I'm I'm unfortunate my parents are both still alive and it's really wonderful. Um, But I can identify with the whole retail retail things. I used to go pick my mom up from work when I started driving at 16 from JCPenney's. And she was like adamant that I pick her up because she's like, I'm done driving you around. <laughs> You're going <laughs> to you take me. care of yeah. you old me. You're going to pick me up. And when she would leave, it would take us a half an hour because she had to talk to every single one of her coworkers yeah. on the way out. Yeah. 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 The number of times I sat in the Bloomingdale's parking lot, just waiting. <laughs> waiting. Right. She's like, I'm on my way out. I'm like, I don't really believe you. <laughs> <laughs> or if I did go in and then she would be like, why didn't you do your hair? Why didn't you put on nicer clothes if you're going to come into my workplace? And I was like, okay, I can't win here. So that was, she was very much a fan of uh, being put together and oh, not in like a performative way of just like, you know, trying to look presentable and <laughs> always, always accessorizing your outfit, whether it be with earrings or a necklace or <laughs> I something see. like that. Yeah. So for your mom, you didn't really get the chance to have like, you know, letters and things of that nature because of the nature of it. Yeah. The one thing I like the consolation prize I'll give myself is like, I do think there's two pieces. One is having seen how she handled my dad's passing and also like medical decisions. I felt very comfortable with knowing I was making the right choices um, for her kind of medical journey because I had seen what she had decided for my dad. And I felt like that was a good proxy for understanding what she would have wanted for herself. Um, I mean, the other piece was like, she, and I, again, as I said, like talked so much, spent so much time together that for me to channel what she was thinking, feeling would have said is pretty easy for me to do, you know, right now, I think that change over time, but um, I feel more like momentarily intertwined with her. Um, And so it's, it's, there's less that I would have felt like, oh, I want some big, you know, moment where she says all of these things. Like I, I kind of know them to be true already. Right, right. You guys were talking more than maybe you and your dad were talking on a regular basis. Yeah. So you just yeah. kind of had an ongoing dialogue. Exactly. With it. Uh, it's, it's, I always think it's interesting, the dynamics between um, children and their parents and, mm-hmm. you know, daughters and mothers and fathers and sons and then the swap of that you know yeah. the whole thing it's yeah. but it's interesting i think more when uh, parents are no longer around what, di- yeah. what that dynamic yeah. is you know so i have a lot of feelings on this because i think um not that i am glad that my parents died in any shape way or form 
Um, but I do think for my brother, it was it what it is what gave him the opportunity to get clean and sober. Um, I think my mom was an enabler for him. My dad was probably also in certain ways. Yeah. I think also our sibling dynamic was never going to succeed in that like kind of dyad that we were as a family because every time we were together, we immediately revert back to being like 16 years old. Like we yeah. cannot bring ourselves into the present day. And so it was interesting and part of my brother's recovery is he, we did a couple like family sessions and things like that. Um, and all of these narratives that we had as children in terms of like, Justin was the, you know, funny one and he could get away with things. And I had higher expectations on me and I had to perform and I was, you know, the oldest. So I set the path forward for us or whatever it may be. Um, all of that kind of went away because all of it was in the vein of our parents. Like it was how we performed for them, the stories that we all perpetuated for ourselves. And so now we're in this place where we can be on equal footing and there's no kind of trying to prove, you know, I was constantly saying like, they're not being fair to me and it's not fair to me. And he was saying, it's not fair to me. And you know, yeah. it was all in that dynamic and that dynamic's gone. Um, and I think, you know, one of the better moments of his recovery has been him saying like, no, I know I had it easy. I know you had it harder than me. Like I got away with a lot. You didn't. I was spoiled. You like, I mean, I was still spoiled, but not you know, <laughs> yeah. maybe to the same extent. Um, and so, yeah, so that's been a really interesting like revelation in all of it. Do you guys get together and do something to like honor your parents every year or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, normally it involves me texting him and being like, hey, reminder, like this day is coming up um, because I think he wasn't present for a lot of the different things that happened. And so he's still kind of working through it in his own way. Um, he actually made a trip back to Chicago where my parents are buried um, a few months after, like, because he wasn't at the um, at the unveiling of her headstone and things mm -hmm. like that. And so um, he's kind of going through it on a different timeline than everyone else did um but i he lives in dc now i'm out in san francisco so we try to see each other as often as we can and he's near a lot of my other family my dad's brothers there my dad's cousins so he spends a lot of time with them and i think um commemorates different you know anniversaries or death anniversaries if you will death anniversary and i've heard i've not heard of it said that yeah sorry. well because anniversary is such a weird word to assign to it and there's not another one so i think in our community, I've heard we always use death anniversary. Interesting. Now, we're, so what support were you given or did you seek out after both of your parents had passed? Were there groups that you were part of? And I'm kind of, I know we're kind of moving towards your that good grief aspect yeah, yeah. here coming up, but were you, did you get into a community or talk to other people? Yeah. So I think I feel very fortunate. I grew up Jewish. Um, and so part of the Jewish tradition is um, there's a shiva period. So sitting mm -hmm. together as a family for seven days after the funeral um, and people come to the house and visit and all your food is fed, literally like force fed to you. Um, <laughs> and everyone comes and, you know, it can be that they're expressing condolences. It can be more that they're just there to keep you company and kind of occupy you during like the seven days following someone's death. Yeah. Um, and I think both shivas for both my parents were extremely exhausting, tiring, overwhelming, um, consuming, like dreaded each day. But, mm -hmm. but I think what it ultimately did was one, it like gets you through the first week after someone dies. And so all of a sudden you're out on the other side and you're like, okay, like I survived seven days. <laughs> like, right. not that I can survive the rest of my life, but it starts you off on the right foot. 
And the other piece is that it taught me about community, the community element of grief pretty early on. Um, I don't know that it's something I would have necessarily sought out otherwise. And so just that idea of like talking to people who had had similar experiences or who wanted to talk openly about it with me and not pretend that it wasn't the elephant in the room yeah. um, certainly made me motivated to be comfortable talking about it. And then I think what really happened though is um, I discovered the like full chain of events as I discovered the book um, When Breath Becomes Air, which is by Paul Kalinke. Um, and it's a beautiful book. And it was the first book I had read that dealt with grief. Um, and from then on, I kind of sought refuge in books and realized like, oh, there are all these people writing these really beautiful things out there that really like personify the things I'm experiencing and haven't been able to put a, a label to. And so that was my entry point, kind of understanding the community around grief is to see that like, yes, every relationship is individual and personal, but the experience of grief is pretty universal. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it totally is. It's incredible um i'm i'm just blown away by how composed you are about this i really am like you know yeah. it's i i'm i'm almost like taken back by how calm you are about this it's, i it's all it comes in waves i think yeah. like it's and it's in i truthfully i think also like it's a powerful example if you will of um how bringing someone up and talking about them is not going to like make that other person think about it like these are things that are always always on my mind my parents are always I'm always thinking about the fact that they're dead like a, or yeah. that I wish they were alive and so for me I find joy in being able to talk about them and talking about you know particularly their personalities and things like that like yeah that makes me happy um I of course wish I was talking about them as and then could call them afterward and tell them about how I talked about them in very <laughs> yeah. but I think like there's, you know, it's not perfect. There are certainly moments where I don't see that kind of silver lining, but I do like, it's nice for me to be able to like talk about them and give them like a legacy. So is that one of your purposes of like, you know, um, like you got on a site spot, I guess, where I saw you and found you on there and um, like you want to get out there and tell this story as much as possible? Yeah, I think my my ultimate feeling is that Grief is something, as I said, is universal. Like every single person in the world will encounter it in some way or another. And we don't really talk about it as a society, particularly in the US. It's not part of our like comfortability. It's like money and death are things we completely have. <laughs> um, and so anything that I can do particularly to help like stigmatize that within my age group of like, you know, on the younger end of things, I think it's super important. I think like some of the best conversations I've had or when I've like willingly shared that this has happened to me and someone else is like, oh, actually I've been through something similar. And then you connect on this like much deeper level and can have like a real conversation in a way you can't before. Um, and then for others who ha haven't been in through anything like that, just educating them of how to show up for other people is so important. So I feel like this is rolling into that, oh, that good grief. Yeah. It's just the <laughs> website, right? Thatgoodgrief.com. My Instagram. Instagram, Instagram yeah. that's right. Mm -hmm. And tell tell me a little bit about the creation of that and and, and how it's going. Yeah, so um, I started about a year and a half ago. Um, I first posted on the second anniversary of when my dad had died, um, and I essentially like writing has always been a comfortable place for me to kind of express feelings. I was talking about 
in middle school, I'd get like mad at my friend and my mom would tell me to just like write a letter to them in my diary and then like rip it up <laughs> afterward. And that was how uh-huh. I like got into my system. Um, so writing has always been kind of that sort of refuge. And I think between reading all the books that I had read, um, I actually went on a grief retreat um, with uh, Rebecca Soffer, who's the writer of Modern Loss. A grief retreat. Uh, I've never heard of that before. Yeah, so they have, uh, they happen. <laughs> I don't know how common they are. Um, but it was at a retreat center. So they do, you know, there were other people there who were on like yoga for scoliosis retreat or like, you know, <laughs> oh my gosh. I know there's something for everyone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so it was mainly a group. Um, it was not meant for only women, but it ended up being a group of 30 women who um, had experienced lot significant loss and wanted to kind of find different ways to do exercises to think about those people, but also like bring it into their everyday life. Um, and some of that focus was on like writing through those different experiences. Um, and so I got to a place where I felt like I had collected all kind of these meaningful quotes that I thought other people would resonate with other people. Um, there's like a, I also felt like when you're grieving, there's all these little moments in a day that like I wouldn't necessarily bring up in like therapy or like, you know, yeah, some big moment, yeah. but just something that I wanted to work through um, or at least talk about. Um, and then also just feeling like writing for me was a good tool. I decided to um, launch my Instagram page. So are you getting, you know, I had this big thought in my mind, you know, like yeah. people are, people are different, you know, and like, and sometimes, you know, you put something together that's so touching and heartfelt. And then think, do you ever get like weird comments from people or like rude comments from people on the site? Yes. <laughs> you know, like, I think true. I, yes, I think everyone gets that at this point, if they're any sort of following on any sort of social media platform yeah. or even without it. Um, I think, but often there are people who come from a good place, but maybe are actively in their grief and upset about other things. And mm-hmm. so... I try not to take that on too much. I engage if it seems like there's something I can say, um, but I also don't necessarily respond if I feel like it's something that they're just, they just need to kind of put out into the internet world. <laughs> <laughs> so you, so what's kind of your, your posting approach or what, what's the content you're putting out? I mean, it's about grief, I would imagine, but yeah. what's the, what's been your approach with it? Yeah. So when I started out, I was thinking that I needed to post like original kind of artwork or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I was pulling different quotes from books I had read and collected that resonated with me to see how they resonated with other people. Um, Over time, I realized that there's a lot of content out there and the way we consume information, we're going to look at like from the media landscape is we're all, we're all consuming it from an aggregator's point of view. So like the reason people like Twitter is because they can go on one site and get a lot of different information from a lot of different sources. Um, And so I felt like I could be an aggregator of all this content that was on Instagram and maybe in a lot of different places, whether it be about like more like self-care, whether it be about anxiety, whether it be about like death and dying, um, whether it be about like depression. So kind of pulling all that together. And so most of the content that I share now is um, posts from other people's accounts that I obviously credit them for. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's also a great source for other people to like kind of enter through there and find other people to follow that way. Um, and, and then I also include a caption on each that's my own kind of personal reflection and why I chose that kind of imagery. What about it resonates for me? And you're getting people who are contacting you about that, you know, 
that it's helping them? It's helping them uh, kind of move through the stages of grief? Yeah, it's really interesting. I get a range of messages every day. Um, some from people who are like, I didn't know any of this was out there. And I, you know, my parent died a week ago. And so now I'm, you know, kind of finding this is the first person I'm talking to about it. Wow. Um, ranging to someone who's like, my, you know, someone died 30 years ago, and your stuff is helping me process what I never did then. Um, and so it's, it's an amazing feeling. I, again, like that's, I'm not in it for myself in, in that yeah. way, but um, it's nice to know that it's resonating with people. So how does talking about this, in a sense, help you heal, in a sense, on a regular mm -hmm. basis? Yeah, I think um, it's less about healing and more figuring out ways to like work through whatever it is. And I think for me, like I said, it's just nice to be able to have an outlet where I can reflect on the small things, the daily things. Um, and to get that kind of like off my chest, I think mm -hmm. all these things would otherwise tuck them, nestle them, nestle themselves down yeah. inside. And so it's just a nice way to have that as a platform to like kind of process. That's amazing. I you know I I can't get over this. You're just so composed. <laughs> I don't know why this is throwing me so much. Maybe in like I'm around people who are just like very Hot messy. All the time. Yeah. yeah, they're just like <laughs> messy when all this is going on. It's just like yeah. you know you can you can feel their um emotions so deeply like it's it's hurting them you know you can mm -hmm. just sense the quivering the yeah just it's palpable you know you're just like very chill you're yeah like, i think i think we all go through phases where we're in different places yeah yeah um i also think like to me it's part of why it's important to really like talk to people and connect with people and honestly find out how they're doing because you know there's always the things of like, check on your strong friends, check on, you know, it's yeah. like, just because someone's not outwardly, like on the ground, shriveled up into a ball, like that doesn't <laughs> yeah. mean that inside they don't feel like they would like to be on the ground shriveled up like a ball, you know? And so um, <laughs> yes, we all true. have our different ways of dealing. And again, and also have moments of dealing with things differently in a less yeah. pretty fashion. I think maybe why it's thrown me a little bit is because I, I see a little bit of um, myself and you like sometimes like when my when my um mother-in-law was passing away like some people were like just really feeling it early on you know and me i, I just kind of like wasn't much going on for yeah. me but like as i got closer to it the the emotion started to like really come to me mm -hmm. and then sometimes i think you don't even know that you're going to be really emotional right. you know you just kind of kind of happens yeah. you know it just kind of blows yeah. out and i mean i remember after my mother-in-law passed away a couple years ago and you know i went back to my parents house and my wife stayed back for a little bit this was pennsylvania my parents are in maryland and mm -hmm. i just got to the living room table i just lost it man i yeah. just I, I didn't see it coming though yeah I, I didn't see it coming it was just like out of nowhere yeah and so it's i think it's just interesting everybody deals with things very differently yeah, um, and I think it, it can build up inside of you pretty easily. And if you're not ready to take it on, it finds its way yeah. It's not something that like holds itself back if it can't anymore. Yeah. yeah, I commend you. Like you're coming on to podcasts and things, you're talking about it, and you can talk about it in a way. Obviously, you have feelings about it. And I'm, I'm sure in many quiet moments, it's very difficult here and there. But you have such a, you're so composed. I am, oh, I am so impressed by you. Thank you. Incredibly impressed by you, Rachel. 
Thank you. And um, and I'm, I'm appreciative for people like you who are willing to be open and tell the stories because somebody's going to listen to this and they have had a very similar experience. Maybe not yeah. exactly, but not sure. they're, they're hurting. You know, they're hurting. Yeah. They're they're alone. And your story makes a big difference to them. It Thanks. will. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's why I do it is just, I know that I'm not the only person who has gone through all these things. And I think there's power in like normalizing it, you know, destigmatizing and figuring yeah. out a path forward for all of us, like who are experiencing it and those around us who are trying to support us through it. Totally. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for being on and for giving yeah. me some time to have a conversation and dialogue with you. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Well, we will definitely be in touch, okay? Perfect. All Sounds right. Good. Thanks a thank lot. You. Have a good day. Bye. You too. Any workout, any mood, any time. That's what the Peloton Tread is all about. From interval runs that motivate you to go the extra mile, power walks that work up a sweat, rolling hill hikes for you to enjoy, and full body boot camps to hit your goals. Plus thousands of workouts that go beyond the tread. Strength programs, core classes, yoga, Pilates, and even boxing. Everything you need on and off the Peloton Tread. Experience it all for yourself with a 30-day home trial. Learn more at OnePeloton.com. Drew and Jonathan Scott here to tell you that American Family Insurance wants to protect your dreams. So whether you're at home singing in the shower. Every note. Or prefer singing your heart out in the car like Drew. Cruising. You can save up to 23% when you bundle your home and auto insurance with American Family Insurance. Get a quote or find an agent at AmFam.com. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.